bandwidth for changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. You're listening to Spotlight, a show that takes place around big announcements, at conferences, in the hallways, and behind the scenes. It's about getting out and having meaningful conversations with real people in the community. It's Changelog in the Trenches, shining our spotlight. Welcome to our first Spotlight series recorded at OSCON London 2016. I'm Jared Santo, Managing Editor of Changelog. Katrina Owen is an accomplished speaker, creator of the excellent coding practice and feedback site, Extrasystem.io, and co-author of 99 Bottles of OOP. Have you ever heard the story of how Katrina went from anonymous developer to sharing a byline with Sandy Metz? She shared all the details during this face-to-face chat. Listen in. As I told you, we had Sandy Metz on the show recently. Yeah. Which was kind of like a checkbox, like bucket list for us. Yeah. But we always have to act like we're cool about it. Oh, yeah. You know, like we had Matt's on a year ago. Right. Sweating bullets. Yeah. Like it's Matt's. Yeah. And he was nervous. Of course. Which made us nervous. Yeah. Um, but on that one, we just were like, you know what? We're just going to grovel. Yeah. <laughs> We don't have to play it cool. We're going to like yeah. just tell you how awesome you are yeah. over and over again. Because uh, that's not awkward. <laughs> I know, right? He was very gracious yeah. and a great guest and an yeah. amazing story. Like, Do you know his story? I mean, he never had access to like compute power, so he just read about programming languages. No, I didn't know that. Like, he had one computer, but it could like only do, and I'm going to botch the details, but like Turbo Pascal or something. Right. And so he would just do that. Yeah. But... Then he would go to the library and he'd buy books about like Lisp and about these other That's languages. Amazing. And uh, I don't think Perl was a thing back then, but probably Smalltalk and these yeah. things. And he would just read books about programming languages. And then he would kind of have this like wanderlust or this desire. He thought they were so beautiful. Yeah. But he never used them. And so by the time he was like adult and like doing things, he had this like super knowledge of all these different design constructs and decisions, right? Because right? he read the decision making process. And he like thought about it, but he never got to use like the practical like ramifications of the decisions. Right. And that kind of inspired him to create Ruby, which was so he told us that story and it was just like amazing. But with Sandy we tried to play it cool. Yeah. And uh, you know, even she seemed a little bit nervous, even though she's like pro talker like she talks now for a living. And then a few minutes later she was over it and everything was good. So Sandy's an amazing speaker. I first heard about her, well, I stumbled across a video that she did at a conference. This is way before her book. Yeah. Right? So nobody knew, basically, she knew whoever was at the local meetups, right? That's, right. that's the thing that you do. That's when, what you do. When you work as a minion at some right. university or whatever. <laughs> and so she had done a talk at Gotham Ruby or something like that. And um, I stumbled across it on the internet. Yeah. And it was amazing. And at the very end, someone was asking, so do you blog? Do you write? She's like, I don't do anything. And she was like, oh, I know I should, but I don't. But I'm working on this book, but it's not going to be ready for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Did you meet her then, or did you just no, like No, so it? that was like this timestamp on the video was a year earlier. Like, the timestamp was a year ago. And she said, oh, the book won't be ready for at least a year. And I was like, oh, where's the book? And you're it like waiting for it. So I went to, I found it like in beta on Safari Books on, online. Tried to buy it, and yeah. there was a bug in the website that so they wouldn't take my money. And so I complained on Twitter. I was like, Safari Books Online, you need to take my money because I need this book. And then Sandy came across it, and she was like, uh, <laughs> let's 
figure out how we can make this happen. Wow. So I got a, I, I got to read the you beta. You really wanted that book. Oh my goodness. It was it was really exactly what I needed at that time. I had been struggling with refactoring and trying to figure out on my own, like how do you make code better? How do you yeah. remove dependencies? How do you make it more readable? How do you make it less painful? Right. And then the, the talk was all about that. It was like exactly that. And this book was going to be life-changing. I just... You just it, knew it. It had, a, it had to be, right? And then I was right, too. That's um, awesome. Because it was amazing. You were right. So yeah. you kind of busted onto the scene giving a talk. Like, yeah. And then you got on Ruby Rogues because of the talk, kind of? I'm Very just, much because of it. So yeah. I, I was, I wasn't, I mean, I was, I lived in Oslo. I knew 12 people, right? Right. Um, we'd go to the same meetup every month. And uh, I worked at a product company that was really cool there. Small, like there were seven or eight engineers, right? And I went to, like, there was a conference that was announced in Sweden for the summer. Uh -huh. And I hadn't really been to a conference before, and I wanted to do that. And so I was like, hey, CEO person right. <laughs> who has money and control, yes. can I go to this conference? He was like, that sounds like a great idea. You should go to this. And then a couple Asking of other... shall receive. Yeah. And a couple <laughs> of my colleagues uh, came along as well. And so I met all of these amazing people in the Ruby... It was a Ruby conference. Yeah. These fantastic people who were welcoming and friendly and interesting and interested. Like, I was a nobody and I was still having these fantastic conversations with people. Right. And so, at one point, a couple of the guys were like, you should give a talk. And I was like, no. Ha, that's yeah. not going to even... That's what everybody thinks at first, right? It's not like, even going to happen. Like, when would I do... How would I do that? What would I talk about? Nothing, right? Right. And then a year later, um, I applied to give a talk at that same conference. Well, what changed your mind, though? Because you said, no, 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 and now a year later, you're doing it. So one of the guys said, it's really challenging, and it's really worth it. And I was like, well, first of all, the fact that he acknowledged the fact that this is really hard, that was... That was a relief. Like that, yeah. that made me think, okay, so he's not pretending it's easy. So hard things, I know how to do hard things. You practice, right? You work really hard at right. it. You figure out what the rules are. Yeah, and you, you put practice. in, you apply effort. So I was like, oh, maybe I could do that. But I put it away. And then I kept going to these meetups in Oslo. And every, every meetup, I'd bring a little refactoring that I had done. And I wouldn't show it like up front, but when most of the people had left, yeah, I'd show pull it up and then say, people. oh, look what I did this. This was a fun refactoring. Yeah. And then... And people liked it. Yeah. Somebody said, I would watch a whole talk of this. I was like, oh, I could do a talk. Nice. Yeah. So it's like a little bit of confidence boost, enough yeah, to try. Totally. And, then, and then was this a talk that uh, shocked the Ruby world? Yeah, totally. <laughs> It brought down Twitter. No. Yeah. Uh, it well, was, Twitter was going down pretty easily back then. That's so. true. There was a fail. There was a low bar. Um, the bar was very low. No, so yeah, I did this talk, and um, James Edward Gray of the Ruby Rogues yeah. saw a video of it and was like, you should all see this talk. It's really good. And then they invited me on the show to just talk about refactoring. Oh, yeah. Um, and then later, uh, they brought me back on as a sort of panelist. I recall that because I was listening. Yeah. I used to listen to Rogues back then. And, and James was so effusive about this talk yeah. that I was like, I should just pause this and go watch, I guess. It's fascinating. I, had, I was so terrified when I was going to give this talk. Yeah. Like, I thought I was going to throw up. Because I was just so scared. I had no idea what the reception would be. What do you think that... First, let's just, uh, for the audience's sake, let's lay, lay out what the talk was. But then tell me what you think like really resonated about it. Because it did. Like mm. Everybody loved it. Why? Yeah, so the title was Therapeutic Refactoring. And I think 
So I think so. The the CFP was blind. So first of all, I was given a chance, even though I had no experience speaking. Nobody yeah. knew anything about who I was. Um, the the abstract spoke for itself, and the title I think was alluring. And this conference was also at a spa. So was that a spa? It was at a spa, a Japanese spa in How Sweden. About therapeutic, right? So right. So I think you were that so I got. so on theme. I think I totally lucked out in some ways. <laughs> The talk itself was a very sort of straightforward, simple story, but it really was a story. Like yeah. I formed it as um, there's this horrible code and it's untested. How do you deal with it? And so it was the process, step yeah. by step, of adding characterization tests, and then the process, step by step, of uh, refactoring. And it was using one of the recipes from Martin Fowler's refactoring book. So it wasn't like I hadn't made anything up right. at this point. Right. It was just that you read <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and applying it sort of gently and carefully. Right. Um, and the whole point of the talk was that refactoring is something that can make you s smarter because it, it offloads a lot of the sort of um, irrelevant details out into your tests and this process which is like lots of right. tiny steps so you're you don't have to hold as much in your head so you're you're freeing up um, cognitive resources and it makes you feel better and happier right. so it's worth so doing it's therapeutic. yeah yeah so that happened that was a thing yeah and I think the thing that resonated was that it was told as a story it's not a read me right I'm not reciting yeah a read me they could they could go read a blog post, but it might not feel the same because it, I don't know. Yeah. So I'm just now thinking about your journey a little bit because here you were like kind of stalking Sandy Metz's Safari page no on kidding. trying to like get her book. Yeah. You know. Sandy Metz, who at the time was completely unknown. Right. Which is almost then, ridiculous to think about then, now. And you know, you're... Uh, your internet fame explodes because of the talk. Sandy's does because of the book. Yeah, and, and she's then she way starts more giving talks. Than I am. Oh like, yeah, she's on her, her fame. Like she can't oh, even go it. to the restroom if she goes to a conference because she's being mobbed right. by the hordes <laughs> who want to talk to her. But you 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 wanted to read her book so bad, and then a few years later, now you're you were writing a book with her. Yeah. So that's kind of a cool yeah reversal. It is a cool reversal. I wonder, like, I'm trying to think, what were the steps in that? Yeah. So the first thing was, I gave her a ton of feedback about the book. Okay. So I sent her feed after reading the first chapter. I was so excited that I sent her feedback, and she was like, "Oh, could you do that more? Right. <laughs> like, could you just put your stream of consciousness in the margins?" I was like, "Yeah, I could totally do that." Nice. So I did, and then um, when I had finished doing that, we got on a talk on a call and like talked about. I was the gonna feedback. say a friendship probably spawned. Or yeah, a relationship yeah. spot. Yeah, in in some way we had things to talk about, yeah. and it was a it was a it was an interesting. We both I think we both got something out of that, and this is just about the time where my talk got accepted therapeutic refactoring. Okay. And so so pre therapeutic refactoring. She gave me feedback on the early versions of the talk, and the most important feedback there were there were a couple of really important things that she did. My talk would have been worse than mediocre if she had not <laughs> had given me some pointers. Okay. Um, and they were? The first bit of feedback was I showed her the before and after shot of the first refactoring. I had like seven examples that I was going to put in this okay. talk. And she was like, that's enough for 10 talks. Let's just go with one example. I, I was see. like, okay. So focus it in and don't try to do too much. Don't try to do too much. And then I showed her the before and after and sort of explained. And she was like, okay, so now... You look smart, and I feel dumb. Mm. I was like, oh, that's 
not good. That's not the goal, right? That's not what I was trying to go for. So I re worked really hard to try to figure out how do I carry the audience along with me in this discovery so that it really feels like this is, I mean, this is not hard, right? And But I want you to understand when yeah. watching it that this is this is simple and it's approachable and it's something that you can do and yeah. it's not magical or I'm, I'm in no way special for doing this. Right. And so that was really important. And then she said, you've got to tell a story. And I was like, how do you do that? And she was like, you just do a story like that. <laughs> like, like, this is it, something right? that some people have been doing all their lives. They tell stories, and that's never been something that I had done. So I started reading books about storytelling. And like, The Anatomy of Story okay. is a book that um, is written by a screenwriter. Yeah. He gets pulled in in Hollywood films that are like doing... Like where the script isn't going to the right place, and so like they bring him in to save nice. projects and, and that's everything. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So I just started reading as much as I could to try to understand what, how do you structure a talk in order to for it to be compelling and stuff like that. And so I don't know. Yeah. Over t over time, we just had things to talk about. Right. Yeah. And then she wrote Pooter. Or no, Pooter was released. released. Um, she continued to give talks. She continued. I get continued. You to continue give to give talks. Talks. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. <laughs> I launched Exorcism. Right. Um, that was... That got unwired. That got unwired. That was terrifying. <laughs> Took you to a new level. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so the thing about Exorcism that's important here is that Sandy, in the very beginning, did some of the exercises um, sort of just for her own edification. And mm -hmm. one of those exercises was the 99 bottles of beer problem. <gasps> No way. Which kicked off this whole thing where we went off, you know, each to our own side to do a bunch of like refactoring. Right. And we'd get on a call and say, why did you do this? I hate that. I love that. That's interesting. Hmm. I'm not sure I understand where right. you're going with that. So, to round that out a little bit. So the book is 99 Bottles. The book is 99 Bottles. Of, together, oh, okay. And it's like all about a specific problem. When we have Sandy on the change log, we talk to her like, why is that problem so profound? Like, yeah. why is it perfect for this style of teaching and, and all those things? And she yeah. gave a lot of reasons. But what I didn't ask her is, well, where'd it come from? Yeah. And I, after the call, I was like, I should have like, found out, like, did you think of this? Like, did you just like know it was going to be good or did you stumble upon it? It turns out it was part of exorcism. It was part of exorcism. And <sighs> people had love. been submitting solutions to this problem and they were all kind of terrible. And at So where some did point, you get it? I, let's see. I probably, I mean, there's a whole website of 99 bottles of beer in all the programming languages. Oh, there That's, is. There's that. It's kind of like Fizzbuzz or something. Right, yeah. Right. Um, I think it was also used as one of the exercises in um, Chris Pine's Learn to Program okay. book. So it's, it's, it's out there. It's been out there. It's been out there. It's one of those common things. It's got just enough algorithmic complexity <laughs> to be useful. But it sounds, it looks simple. Ridiculously simple. And so everybody thinks immediately, oh, I can do that. Like, yep. Ten minutes. Yeah. And you can. And you can. But not well. <laughs> well, you can do a simple version, Sing but yes. nobody wants to do a simple version. They all right. want to do a they really do like a clever version. They want, they want people to think, you're smart and I'm yeah. dumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you introduced her to that problem via exorcism, and you both were kind of solving it in your own ways. Well, in particular, Sandy was solving it in really interesting ways. Like when she submitted, when most people submit a solution to exorcism, they'll submit one solution and you talk about that. She submitted one solution that had four solutions in it, like four different, completely different approaches with this long commentary of like, yeah. well, if this were the trade-offs I were, was making, then this solution, but if this other thing, then this other solution, like, and it was the most interesting approach that I had ever seen. 
in terms of not what the actual solutions were, but in terms of thinking deeply about the design trade-offs here. Like yeah. in what situations would one approach, one design work, and in what situation would another? And also this sort of like led to me asking, how did you know that there was this, like how, how there are these abstractions in this problem. How did you know? And she's like, I, well, I just did. Yeah. You know, and I, I couldn't see it. And so eventually over time, we used my refactoring practice and skill to figure out how can we go step by step from, from the simple solution to these abstractions that she just knew were there because she of had her like the expert experience. intuition mm -hmm. of the experience where you just, you just know. Yeah. But like, that's, that's an awesome skill, but it's not a helpful skill for other people. It's really hard to teach. <laughs> and you had the refactoring history and like practice of going step by step. And so together you helped her kind of unfold how she got there where yeah. she would jump from step one to seven, but you're like, let's document two, three, four, five, and six. Yeah, and I didn't quite understand the process that I used. Like it's yeah. lots of tiny steps, but I didn't necessarily understand, like there as well, there was this element of like, I just did it in a way that I couldn't really articulate the value of. And of course, when she first saw it, she was kind of horrified. Cause it was like, why would you do such a thing? Right. Like, why don't you just do the thing that's kind of obvious? I was yeah. like, well, it's not obvious to me. It's I only obvious it. to a certain eye, yeah. yeah. So, tell me about the book writing process now. So, like, yeah, what so was that like? I mean, she sends first, you stuff, you send her stuff. Like, yeah. how does it work? We, so, we worked on the problem back and forth for a long time until we started realizing what the actual lessons in it were, both refactoring and design lessons. And then people were hounding her to give courses, like to do, to teach classes privately yeah. in businesses, publicly as well, but mostly private. So we got together and worked out sort of an early version of some curriculum that we could go teach together and we would, you know, prep in the morning, debrief in the evenings. And of, of course, our first plans were nothing like reality. But over time, things settled into a, yeah. a rhythm. We understood what the curriculum were, was. We understood, like we, after a while, we had seen and heard every single version of every single... There's not a solution uh, that you could possibly surprise you guys with. Right. After a while. For the 99 problems. Yeah. <laughs> for 99, uh, pretty sure not 99 we've seen problems. it all. So the curriculum got tightened up and after a while, I don't even know at what point we decided this, but like this kind of has to be a book. Like the, we understand the content. We we understand the problem really well. We've taught it. We've seen all of the objective objections. We've right. heard all of the objections. We've seen all of the solutions. Um, we should be able to turn this into a book. And so at that point, we had we worked a lot on the structure of the book. So we had all of the code examples step by step by step. And it was like, okay, what is the structure in terms of chapters and sections? And in which order do we put all of these ideas? Right. And then finally, there's like a, a final actual writing pass, which Sandy does for um, having a very consistent voice in the whole right. book. And then several rounds of editing. So is it out there? Is it is yeah. it done? No. No. It's, it's out, out there, there, but it's not done. Yeah. So it's in beta. And okay. you can get a hold of it. It's, it's six long chapters. So it's a proper it's a proper size book, like hundreds of pages. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the size is right now, but um, but that number is probably available on her website. She said there was like 45,000 words at one yeah. point. Yeah. And that's, I, uh, I think that was all, the first four chapters. Yeah, that's a lot of words. Yeah, so the first five chapters out of six are out, um, which we didn't want to release it. We released the first four chapters in beta, I think, this summer 
early June, early yeah. July, something like that. We didn't want to release it before those four chapters, like before we had something that you could actually read and get something out of it. We didn't want to sell you a promise. We wanted to sell you something concrete yeah. that has value, that will be more valuable, but that you can already it's valuable enjoy. right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great story. <laughs> I hope it's a really good book. I, I was able to sit in a little bit on one of her trainings, so I understand the problem. Yeah. And I have a feeling that it's going to be a really good book because uh, just walking through the refactorings of that specific problem... Like I was there work, doing work for the change log, yeah. not taking the class, right. kind of observing. Yeah. But I was like, kept like, I wanted to bust out my editor. You know what I'm saying? Oh, it's like so it's, it was compelling. Yeah. It was very compelling. Yeah. And even as a person who's done object oriented for you know ten years, it's a fun. Problem. I was just like, this is somewhat transformative way of applying you know yeah. thought to to code. So. Yeah. The the actual ideas in the book are very very simple, but it's hard to. It, like it's the, that simplicity that's at the other side of complexity that some people talk about. Like yeah. you have simple that's kind of naive, and then you have this complexity that feels very satisfying. Right. And then getting beyond that complexity is really hard. But once you do, you get to these deeper, simpler truths. And I think that that's something that we've managed to do yeah. with this book. Very cool. Let's talk about conferences a little bit because yeah. they've kind of been a launch pad for you in your career, yeah. at least in your public career. Um, and here we are at a conference, right? Yeah. We're at OSCON. You used to be, like, scared and, like, had to, like, step out on a ledge to give a talk. And then, you know, over time, you've probably now done it, done talks many, many times. You've been to all conferences all over the world. I'm sure conferences are different for you now than they were yeah. before. Like, what do you... You're here at OSCON. I know you're here with GitHub, so you're kind of working as well, but you're, get, you're speaking. Like, what do you try to get out of conferences nowadays? The most important thing is meeting people. Yeah. Like having real conversations, not those fleeting, oh, hey, what do you do? I program. Me too. We have right. so much in common. Um, but to actually be able to say, oh, yeah, you work on this project. What's hard about it? What's interesting about it? Yeah. Um, those, com those conversations are really valuable. They often, I mean, they don't always, but they often grow into something that's a little bit more durable like now I uh, there's this face that I recognize right. this voice that I know this person that I have some very very little idea of what they care about right and so suddenly on the internet when I see tweets from them or blog posts from them I have this bigger idea of who this person is right more and round picture of yeah people. and I think I think that's a valuable thing yeah because suddenly these tenuous relationships become important in other ways. It's like, oh, we suddenly are going to be working on a very similar thing, and I yeah. have experiences, and you have experiences, and we can trade, and it's going to be useful. There's a lot of people that go to conferences, and they find that, like, getting past the shallow, like, how are you, hi, shake the hand, is very difficult. You're a quiet person. You're kind of shy, you know, and yet you seem to have got. You seem to have relationships at conferences. Maybe just because you do it so much, and because you've yeah. you've been to so many. But like, do you have any tips or like, how do you kind of bust out of that awkwardness, that fear, whatever it is that keeps us from like even engaging in conversations at conferences? Yeah. You just go and kind of like go to the talks and then go back to your hotel room. Well, going to the talks is. <laughs> good, but it's kind of the least valuable <laughs> part of a conference. I mean, it, I, Especially when they record them and put them online. That too. You can watch it later. But the, so the talks are interesting 
in particular, because they can work as a conversation starter, you meet someone at the coffee stand or whatever, and you're like, wow, you know, what have you yeah, seen to, it's a shared today? Experience. What was, yeah. And then, and then you, that's a launching point for actually talking about like trying to find that common ground where you can actually have a real conversation. Yeah. Often those real conversations happen in that edge of where technology meets human fear. <laughs> you know, it's I like, like that. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's you're you're now talking about the the vulnerability of being human and not being perfect and not yeah. figuring this all out. And that's often where we can help each other in just having like insights and sharing experiences. I'd say it's worth it. Like yeah. it's worth stepping out a little bit yeah and uh, i have a tendency where if i have a lot of like knowns in a place i will just cling to them yeah so you know i always had friends you know in high school or in college where like go to a party and if i had like three buddies with me i would just hang out with them the whole time yep you know i see people do that at conferences i yeah. think it's a shame well i kind of do too which is kind of like I kind of like coming to this conference by myself because, like, yeah. I don't really have a choice. I either, yeah. like, be the awkward guy standing by himself right. or I go talk to somebody, right. you know? And so it kind of pushes me over that, my tendency to just, like, cling to the known. Yeah. Because there's no known here to cling yeah, to. Yeah, there's no known. kind of cool. Well, this has been a lot of fun. And closing thoughts, nope. words of wisdom. No, nope. I'm not wise. <laughs> you heard it here first, Katrina Owen, not wise. <laughs> Uh, check out 99 books. I can call it 99 books. 99 uh, bottles of I call it 99 problems. I call it 99 books. 99 bottles of um, OOP. Uh, check that out. And uh, thanks for stopping by here at OSCON. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to our friends at O'Reilly for the awesome working partnership at OSCON London 2016. We'll see you again, OzCon, in 2017 in Austin, Texas. And if you want to save some money on that ticket, if you're going, use the code CHANGELOG20 to save 20% off your registration to OzCon 2017 in Austin, Texas. For more episodes like this, head to changelog.com spotlight. Click subscribe. Don't miss a show. And thanks for listening.